When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In an absolute vacuum, LeBron James is a better basketball player than Michael Jordan. Speaking Basketball Podcast, my name is Ben, and today we have part two of my conversation with Nate Duncan in part one. If you missed it, we discussed 2018 league trends and where Steph Curry ranks among the all-time great seasons in NBA history. And today, without further ado, we're just going to jump in to part two of this conversation. It's it's one that we've wanted to have for a while and have finally gotten to it. It's LeBron James and Michael Jordan, all things MJ and LeBron, for nearly an hour. So uh, here's part two. Nate and I hope you guys enjoy. Speaking of, let, let's, let's shift to things that have historical significance and aren't absurd, which is uh, the the entire discussion we've been waiting to get to, Michael Jordan versus LeBron James. And and, and there's a lot of ways we can tackle this. How, how do you want to how do you want to jump in on these guys? Um, do, you, do you have a particular thought that I mean, you grew up in or lived for a while in Chicago? Do you um, when we ended last time, I was I was hoping that you would have some uh, hugely controversial thing that we could bounce up against. Well, I, I, you know, I was, and I think I said this on the last show, but it could be a jumping off point here that, you know, when people first started talking about, oh, hey, maybe LeBron is as good as Jordan. I thought that uh, by the end of his time in Miami, there was a pretty good argument that you know he had had as good of a career as Jordan through age 30 and maybe even more so when you look at the fact that he came in right out of high school played a lot more seasons than Jordan did but you know he he had won two championships at that point so like number one let's see you know how how his teams do and how much he contributes to winning uh and then Michael Jordan aged incredibly well I mean at, at age 35 he most people would have said he was still the best player in the league certainly in the playoffs and he had a Herculean performance in the 1998 finals to beat the Utah Jazz. And so I was like, all right, you know, let's see if LeBron can actually age this well. And LeBron has massively exceeded my expectations, any kind of normal aging curve uh, for how well he has played to the point where it seems like it's a very legitimate discussion to me, despite the fact that LeBron has won the three championships and Jordan had six and you know there are a lot of a lot of components that you can't just break it down to that but I, I do think for the first time I think after this these last two seasons in particular in LeBron's playoff performance the last two seasons uh it, it is a very legitimate question to me at, to the point where now the question is well what do you want in your greatest of all time as opposed to just right. regardless of what your criteria is it's Jordan and and I think uh, sort of reflecting as you were reminiscing on reminiscing about that if you had told us in the summer of 2003 that there's a guy coming into the league 
who in 15 years will be able to challenge this legacy that Jordan had created. It's kind of weird to think about a 2003 retirement tour for Jordan because it was like Bizarro Wizards Jordan. Um, but that was, that was a thing. They, you know, they, he went to the arena and they sort of, uh, congratulated him on his career and he, he did, he did the tour, uh, at the end of that season. And it's just incredible that that guy would come along three months later, five months later, play his first game in the league. And then from LeBron's standpoint, you know, everything that happened in nine, 10, 11, the, the, the end of Cleveland into the decision, into his first season with the Heatles, Losing in the finals, the way he lost in the finals, it's still kind of amazing that, you know, seven years later, we're here having this discussion. And to your point, it's like, well, now it starts to get into your philosophy. Now it starts to get into what type of cake do you like to eat? Is it like some vanilla criteria? Is it chocolate? Is it strawberry? Like, what's your thing? Because that's going to inform where you land on these guys. And that to me is amazing. Yeah, it, it really is. And even if you said in 2010, because I think a lot of people believed that LeBron was kind of throwing away his chance at a legacy, kind of the same way that Kevin Durant did, right? Like he hasn't got hasn't gotten the credit for going to Golden State for the way that they've played. You know, he hasn't been considered the best player in the game. You know, it, it seems like these two championships may be devalued for him uh, to some degree. Everyone thought that was going to be the case at Miami that this is going to be this incredible super team, but in reality, you really didn't get beyond that first season, all three of those guys at the peak of their powers, you know, Wade, uh, first, yeah, yeah. He kind of ran out of gas, at least by the end of the 13 and 14 seasons and Bosch was injured in the 2012 playoffs. And so much more than people expected, LeBron actually got to kind of be the sole engine of those 2012 and 2013 championships in a way that wasn't anticipated when he did go to Miami. I think that helped him a lot too. You know, if they just, I think oddly, if they had just waltzed to, you know, championship sweeps for those first three years with Wade and Bosch playing at a ridiculous level as well, he almost would have gotten less credit. I, I think the maybe the hardest challenge with these two guys at this point is trying to figure out what their peak season is. They, they just have so many. J- Jordan, for me, it was this consecutive period starting in, you, you could throw in 1988, but really... 89, 90, 91, maybe 92, that like four or five year period. You can pick almost any of those years. They're absolutely mind boggling. And then with LeBron, he doesn't, it, the funny thing is he doesn't have like this consistent period. He has 2009 where he kind of breaks the, bo- the box score and, and just the stats are off the charts. Uh, the fact that that Cleveland team won 66 games is still a little mind bending. When you go oh, back yeah. and think about like, oh, so yeah, what they had Mo Williams and uh, Zadrunas Olgowskis was like 35 and what, you know, it's just like, how did that happen? Um, and then LeBron, I've heard, I've heard people take the 12 season. I, I kind of impartial to the 13 season um, where to your point, the Miami team around him wasn't some incredible juggernaut. They faced, you know, maybe it, maybe it's a little uh, cognitive bias coming in because they faced like the perfect level of opposition in San Antonio. That 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 finals that year was just like this incredible even prize fight that went back and forth for 15 rounds. So, and then 2016, a, a, another incredible year. I, wh- where do you do you have any thoughts on uh, 
either of these guys when they were at their best and, and how they stack up next to each other. Yeah, I think LeBron clearly 2013 was it because he was still – that was really the last year that he played much defense. And also, I, I, like, this is an interesting question too of just – you know, I think if you had to say who is the better regular season player, that Jordan to me wins that pretty easily uh, because just, you know, he played – on more great teams, he wasn't really susceptible to this criticism of sort of coasting in the regular season and, you know, we're going to win 52 games this year and then just, like, turn it on in the playoffs. You know, his teams didn't do that. You know, even even the year that they supposedly did that in uh, 1998, they won 62 games and, you know, Scottie Pippen missed half the year that year, you know? No, they, they, no, they, did, they did not do yeah. that that year. J- Jordan was balling out with Rusty LaRue in the lineup yeah. at the beginning of the year. I mean, if 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 anyone didn't see that season through, it was a grind in the fact that they were able to win 62. I even think the season before, right? They won 72 and 96. And they come back and they win 69 games. Oh yeah. That season it would it would have been 70. They, they won their first 14 games of, that year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to to play at that pace again after already setting those records and setting those marks. I think my favorite Jordan stat along those lines is he didn't have a three-game losing streak after 1990 or something. It was like eight years where their record after a loss was really good, and then their record after two consecutive losses was undefeated. Yeah, and now I think the league has taken on even more of this bent of, all right, the regular season doesn't matter. We're going to rest guys. Only the playoffs matter. You know, this kind of Tour, it's almost treating the playoffs like, you know, it's like Lance Armstrong would treat the Tour de France where it's like, all right, the rest of these events don't matter. I'm going to just train all year and, you know, don't worry about winning these other events and I'm going to be ready in July. You know, it's kind of the same thing now uh, for most of these teams, which is part of why I'm saying I don't necessarily see there being, uh, especially after the Warriors won the 73 games and then like lost in the finals. Like I think if they had won, then maybe... It, teams would feel a little bit differently about regular season accomplishments, but that was sort of like the ultimate trump card of like, all right, let's not even try anymore in the regular season. So, uh, but you know, it is harder to play at that type of a level all during the regular season. I think Jordan deserves uh, some credit for that over LeBron Um, to, to answer your question. I think, you know, certainly 13 for LeBron would be his best season. I think most people point to 91 as the, the best Jordan season. Um, I mean, if you, and that was probably really the last year that he had just like the absolute nuclear athleticism, just really just dunking on guys, you know, most athletic player in the league type of guy. I mean, he, his decline was very gentle after that, certainly. And he, you know, he would still have highlights every once in a while, but that was the, that was the year where I thought like his jump shot, his athleticism, actually playing some team ball in the triangle, uh, defensively still could bring it at the highest levels. That's probably the year when it all came together the most, although maybe that's giving short shrift to some of the earlier seasons, but I think he probably just wasn't playing enough team ball uh, in those 88 through 90 seasons. Um, And just to get to the point where he's a little bit more egalitarian in in 91, it's easy to say that because, oh, they won the championship. They had a dominant playoff run that year. But I I think that would probably be my year for Jordan if I had to pick one. I'm I'm not happy about this because, again, we are mostly in agreement. Uh, I'm I'm hoping we can find spots where we can uh, work through some divergence. But for me, I I ended up having 2013 LeBron as his peak. There are certainly other years that are right there. And with Jordan... 
I I ended up valuing the 89 to 91 seasons uh, as essentially all being on the same line. I think you can pick any of those years. The the one thing I would push back against is in 90 to me there was in in revisiting that team there was a clear development with Phil Jackson coming in, the triangle, the offensive structures he was trying to put in place. And I think even though they lost that year, I, I think if you, especially if you pull them up on tape, like they're so similar. Jordan was already starting to play the way he played in 91 yeah. that I, I, I'm not sure I can, you know, I, I don't, I'm not super comfortable with the idea that just because they won in 91, he finally embraced team play more. It was like, well, in 89, they had this uh, point guard experiment and he was still, uh, his defensive engines were still burning hot. In 90, not quite as much of a motor on defense, which is understandable. But, you know, I think that the seeds of that style of play in the triangle were already there. Yeah, and I can't say that I've gone back and looked. And really, actually, 1991 was the first year I was an 11-year-old and that I really, like, started watching and have a great memory of. So uh, that might well be the case. And obviously, with Jackson coming in, you would think that. I mean, certainly, if you if the Jordan rules is to be believed, you know, it really was. It really took through most of that season for Jordan to really embrace things the way the coaching staff wanted him to. Well, this 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 concept of him being a better better regular season player and the defensive motor and and this effort that he put in zero through eighty two, to me, I, I see that as like you could almost argue it's a bug not a feature because he can't like, I don't know if he can turn that off. And the fact that he can't turn that off, maybe why he only had, you know, had to take some time off, you know, only play ended up playing whatever it was, 10, 11 prime seasons. Um, I think a lot of people historically look back and just say, well, if Michael had kept playing, he would have seven or eight titles. And it's like, I'm not sure Michael could have kept playing like that. Like his intensity the way he played, the way he approached it, the way he practiced, uh, it's not sustainable for the kind of career we've seen someone like LeBron have. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's uh, the case. You know, how much, uh, again, there's kind of this idea when you talk about, all right, the, the greatest of all time, just what does that mean? You know, is it just like, okay, I saw this guy playing at a level that was this high long enough that it wasn't a fluke. I, I mean, I think a lot of people are just like, see it as the greatest player I ever saw, you know, like, like that. Right. So, so that kind of has more of a component of just, and so much of basketball and its legacy is just, I saw this guy. It was so amazing to watch this guy play, you know, like the, that's kind of the thought behind right. it. And so when you say, Oh, this is the greatest player I've ever seen. That has more of a, you don't care as much about, okay, this guy was playing at uh, uh, the fifth best player in the league when he was 37, you know, you just think about, right, right, right. oh, this guy was going out here and absolutely dominating the game, best in the league, talking about playing at a level that is, you know, the greatest player of all time. Uh, and so once you get seasons where you're not playing at a level where you're like, oh, this is one of the all-time great seasons, kind of don't really matter to people. So, and I understand that viewpoint, I, I, and I'm actually somewhat partial to it myself, because you, when you really think about, all right, you know, this is the guy I would want to have on my team for one season or, or you know, a five-year run or something like that. Like people almost can't even – because It's hard to right, compute. Right, right. It, it's hard to grunk. Yeah, I, I mean, and, you know, something like Kareem where it's just like, oh, yeah, where is this guy going to be 20 years from now? He's going to still be on my team. It's just like – like it's just like too, too much for people to take in, in from a memory standpoint. 
I, I think and completely agree. I, I mentioned that in the post mortem. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was uh, a great a great way to put it. I think one of the key things that comes up with these guys that we should definitely mention while we're here is the interaction with the teammates. And it's certainly something that I've written about. But, you know, do you play LeBron ball? You see it right now with him in Los Angeles where a lot of people are snickering in the wings that, oh, just wait till January and they're running, you know, some kind of uh, four guys spread around the court, LeBron dribbling the ball for 12 seconds. Do you... Do you have to play like that around LeBron? Is it, do LeBron's teams rely on him a lot or his numbers because it's built around him and no one else is there? Can he scale to use my language, et cetera, et cetera? I think it's worth discussing sort of how those two guys um, are different in those areas. Yeah, it is. And I think the place I would start there is with the jump shot. And clearly LeBron, a better three point shooter than Jordan at this point in time. For the era, though, I mean, Jordan really, by the end of his career, was relying on the jump shot. And, you know, you couldn't, you certainly couldn't ever just leave Michael Jordan open. Uh, and so, and LeBron certainly is like wax and wane with his jumper. He'll go through periods like uh, the 2015 playoffs, most of the 2016 uh, regular season and playoffs where the jumper just wouldn't be working, you know, or, or the 2013 finals, the 2011 finals uh you know going back to his time in cleveland the 2010 playoffs where he had that elbow injury the jumper would just kind of abandon him. now a lot of that was on ball but you wonder if he was working off of other players you know just uh, can he really you know he's not going to come off screens the way jordan would uh, to get open um so i mean i would probably say that jordan offensively is a little bit more scalable due to the better jumper and you would also imagine that you know, if Jordan were in a different era, as good of a shooter as he was, he could have stretched it out to three a little bit better. And, and he certainly, you know, he did that during the years that the three-point line was a little shorter. I mean, maybe there was just something right. structurally where, like, that extra one foot nine inches from the 22-foot line would have just been too much for him because he never shot it well from, like, real deep. Yeah, See, I think that's a thing, though. Yeah. I, I think that's a thing. There was a, a guy from Kentucky who was drafted by the Celtics named Ron Mercer. And he had like this phenomenal college level jumper, right? 18, 19, 20 feet. But the, the, almost the, the physics of the thing breaks down. It's not like Curry's shot where the difference between 24 and 26 feet in his yeah. set motion delivery release. Yeah. Is all if the same. you have a jump shot where you're jumping as high as possible and shooting at the top of your release, I think, you know, you are kind of limited to maybe, you know, 20 feet maybe that 22 and so it, it does make a, a big difference to go out another two feet if you're really a guy who loads up and shoots at the top of your jump right well said and and i think the but with that said the the irony here is i don't think people realize how much jordan's game was off ball and, and yeah. you mentioned it he would fly off you know they pin downs and screens and you just can't leave him open he would he was super quick he would cut you leave him open from like 17 feet, he's just going to catch and catch and shoot that thing with a really, really high level of proficiency. And so it, I, I tend to land where you landed, which is he's going to scale a little better. He's going to fit a little bit more because he's such a force without the basketball. If you watch some of those Doug Collins offenses, it was just like, Jordan being chased by everyone off the ball as people set screens. And, and that, that was yeah. it. That was the thing. And, and you can't really do that with LeBron. No, although I do think LeBron 
is maybe the most devastating cutter in the NBA when he tries again you know and is LeBron going to move hard off the ball with the amount of energy that he wants to exert especially at this point in his career maybe maybe not we'll see it'll be an interesting test this year with the Lakers because they have these other playmakers I listened to your pod actually talking about what their uh, offense is going to look like I thought thought that was interesting I'll I'll plug that for you right now the last pod about how the Lakers offense (laughs) is going to fit together but yeah, I think that's true. And one of the things that I always said was, to me, the biggest difference between Jordan and Kobe was that Jordan actually knew how to get himself easy shots. And Kobe, right, exactly. all of his shots were hard. He might, Kobe might have even been a better bad shot maker than Jordan, although Jordan certainly was unbelievable at that as well. But Jordan actually moved enough off the ball uh, and was able to, to get open and get easier looks for himself uh you know as opposed to everyone being hard this is actually one thing i wanted to say that might frame this discussion a little bit um if we're gonna say okay you know kind of the math on these guys is pretty close at this point you know i think for whether you want to look at plus minus whether you want to look at box score based metrics whatever it is you know i think the best jordan seasons the best lebron seasons are probably pretty close to one another especially when you throw in playoff performance so and that's relative to, you know, how everyone to the rest of the league, right? So what are the reasons to either, you know, devalue these accomplishments or to maybe, you know, say that these accomplishments are undervalued, these numerical accomplishments? Well, that's a great question. I, I think one of the lowest hanging fruits, like just the first thing we can do is look at the changes between the regular season and the postseason. Because where my mind immediately goes to is if you're in a weak conference and you play, what is it now, 50 out of 82 games against that conference, it's not it's not quite accurate to say you're going to have inflated stats, but they're going to be bumped up a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't and I don't think that the, the conference disparity matters that much for your stats in the regular season, though. I, I, I think like I mean, fifty nine of your games, or I'm sorry, fifty eight of your games are the same. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't think m- it's maybe a, a little bit. You know, early in Jordan's career, it would have been. Uh, you you actually was a more conference heavy schedule when you only had twenty three teams. And you're playing, you know, only two games against the West every year. So, okay. So what are, I I think in the playoffs though, I totally agree with you. I think that's probably the biggest reason or one of the biggest reasons to devalue LeBron is just, okay. Yeah. You had all these finals appearances, but like how many actual decent teams did you beat in the East during this, this run of seven straight finals, eight straight finals. The, the, of course, for the way I approach this, the eight straight finals or zero straight finals isn't the yeah. isn't the thing that makes the difference. But but I think to you're, you're asking a great analytical question, which is, are these stats always apples to apples? And it's you know if you play the majority of your playoff games, I'm more interested in the level of defense yeah. sometimes because if you're going to focus in right, if you're going to focus in on your offensive metrics and your offensive performance and we should, you know, maybe talk about the defense of these guys, but clearly both were all-time juggernauts on offense. Then it's that environment that you're going up against in the postseason. If you're in the Western Conference these days and you play elite defenses in round two and three, and you're in the Eastern Conference and you're playing, you know, milk toast, that's going to allow you to sustain these same kind of uh, numbers in the playoffs. And 
when these guys are really close, splitting hairs like that, maybe that makes the difference. Yeah, I think so. I think just overall defensively, I'd say Jordan had a better career uh, than LeBron, and he brought it more consistently. Although that may you can make the argument that in that era it was much more possible to bring it consistently uh, every night, and that bringing it consistently in that era just didn't involve as much work as bringing it consistently now. When you know you have to every possession you have to race to protect the rim and then close out to the three point line. It's just so much more ground to cover uh, these days, some more responsibilities other than just, okay, we're off the ball. My man's standing above the free throw line. So I just can't do anything on this possession except maybe like go double team one time, you know? So, so yeah, I go think, ahead. I think this is finally, we've, it, it's an hour in and I think we've finally reached an area where we can butt heads nicely. I, I, I think Jordan's motor was higher, right? We, we talked about that earlier, especially in 88 and 89. If you, if you watch film from 88 and 89, he's just flying all over the court. But I tend to like, as a high-end impact defender, I tend to like what LeBron did during his best years, you know, uh, starting really I'm, around 2000. I'm sorry to say I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I was starting to say. I think Jordan had the better career because he's just – more consistent, you know, didn't take plays off. I mean, you know, some of these regular seasons from James, I mean, especially these last two years, I mean, just, uh, and yeah, Cleveland didn't have a ton of great defensive personnel, but like they're taking a lot of their cues and not trying from him. But I think, yeah, the, the LeBron covers more ground, can guard one through five, uh, extremely well, um, you know, protects the rim in a way that Jordan didn't, you know, better as a help defender. So, Right, Maybe right. not as disruptive. You know, LeBron's never been like a huge steals guy the way Jordan was, so that probably goes in Jordan's favor. But you know, Jordan just didn't have the versatility just because of his size to guard as many positions. Uh, switching wasn't a big thing back then, but you know, he didn't do a ton of that. I, I actually may, maybe there is an area here where we diverge slightly because I well I agree with what you just said about Jordan, and I don't have him too far behind at their best. His 88 and 89 seasons were toward the forces for a defensive guard. I I think he gets this huge boost from like, you know, in the 90s, 91, 92, 93. I actually kind of like some of his second three-peat defensive seasons better than definitely 1993, uh, where I think he was getting getting fatigued. Um, he didn't have the same athleticism. He was... He was sort of compensating by, by okay, I've now figured out the cheat code for the game, so I've got my offense rolling. I don't really need to give you the same effort on defense. You look at those 96, 97, 98 seasons, he had something to prove. He was physically stronger. He had added at least 15 pounds. Um, and I think especially in 98, at 35 years old, he was willing to burn the rubber on the tires that whole season without Pippen. Uh, he just had the accelerator down and I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm countering my own argument here as I, as I talk through it, but I feel like the point I'm making is that he gets a boost in some of those surrounding seasons, whether it's the early eighties or uh, the earlier eighties seasons or the nineties seasons. And people just assume he played at like this defensive player of the year level. And, and that's the thing I push back. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't at that level. I mean, any, and especially, you know, defensive player of the year for a guard in that era for any, I mean, when you consider like how much uh, lower the spacing was, how much defensive rebounding was more important, how much rim protection was more important, uh, I think for any perimeter player to get it then is even more ridiculous for a per- than for a perimeter player to get it now. Are, are you are you suggesting that giving 
the Defensive Player of the Year awards to all these guards who accrued steals in a league with Hakeem Olajuwon, Mark yeah. Eaton, Ralph Sampson, Patrick. Are you are you suggesting that that was a bad idea? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think that that was that was great. No, well, no, it wasn't a, that was was not a good look. Um, <laughs> okay, let, let's maybe finish on this question because it's a fun one and certainly one that I haven't thought. Well, well can I can I throw in a couple more things on there if you if you got the time? Oh yeah. So and kind oh, of no, this I like do. here's why to value certain guys' accomplishments more. I think a big one to devalue Jordan is holy crap! Did the league suck by the time he was 35? I mean, you had gone from 23 teams to 30 over I think uh, a eight year period from 88 to 90 95. Uh, 96. Yeah, yeah, yeah 95, 96. Raptors. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, and to to get up to, this would it have been twenty nine at that point? Yeah, it would have been twenty nine at that point because right. then Charlotte came in to to make it thirty. Um, so to go, you added six teams, and then you look at the eighty eight to ninety one drafts, and you know that would have been the time from you know ninety six to ninety eight when the guys from that draft would have been coming into their primes. Well, and, and it was also if you look at those drafts. There was like nobody good in those drafts, right? You didn't, I, you basically didn't get any top 10 players in the NBA coming out of those drafts. Uh, you know, it was really until 92, you know, from 87, you had, you know, Pippen, you had David Robinson. Uh, you know, then it wasn't really until 92 with Shaq that you had like another like great uh, all time level of player in the draft. And so the, with those drafts kind of being empty, it was really an aberrational time in NBA history when, the best players were all guys who had been drafted in the mid '80s. Still, during that time, you know, you you had Robinson, you had Jordan, Malone, Barkley, Elijah. On you know, we're still even being talked about as some of the best guys, uh, John Stockton. So it, th- there was it was artificially easier for Jordan to dominate. Then he was the best of that generation, you know, when they're in their primes, and he was still the best of their generation. There's nobody that really came up behind him to challenge him. And I think that's a big part of why he was able to experience that same type of team and individual success that late, uh, because the league, you know, really just sucked. That's probably the lowest point for the league in my lifetime in terms of just the number of really good players who were in it at the time in their primes. You know, this is a fascinating point. I, I have a blog post. I think I wrote it a year. I don't even remember when I wrote it. It was like a year and a half ago. It was an old one that, looked at contributions to the league by age. And I think I used wind shares. I was trying to just use like a historical metric that could give us a proxy for what age groups contribute to the league. And that period that you just honed in on, 96, 97, 98, it's a total aberration. It's it's this outlier where it's like all of these 34, 35, 36-year-old players are still, for the most part, driving the league. It's right before the crop of Garnett, Kobe, Duncan, et cetera, come in. Shaq and David Robinson. But David Robinson was old, right. too. David Robinson, right? I mean, he he didn't start playing until 90 when he was much older. Shaq is the only other real kind of like huge name in there. And this is what I was getting at earlier with the parody concept. When you have really productive draft classes... Like, I think the 81 or 82 draft class had a bunch of solid players. When you have the 2018, the 2017 draft class pumping in 
20 or 25 guys a year that are going to be regulars around the league, two, three, four superstars. That's a different environment than by the time, man, by the time we got to the lockout in 99, eh, yeah, that was, um, that was, that was not ideal. A, a, a nadir. It was a, it was a nadir. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Well, and then we should look at the context for uh, LeBron as well, where, yeah, he's not playing any good teams in the East, right? I mean, I think he's played two sixty-win teams, and you know, maybe that Bulls team was really good. You know, they certainly had some structural weaknesses, but uh, that that they beat in uh, twenty eleven, and then you had like you know a bunch of Pacers teams, like the best player is Paul George, who you know was probably if he was ever a top ten player, it was on the fringe of the top ten. Uh, you know, I mean, even if you just look at like who's the best player that LeBron beat in the East during those eight years. But then you could also flip that and say, well, he's had to play this all-time great team the last four years in the finals. And if it weren't for them, you know, he might have another couple of championships and, and we might think of him totally differently there too. So I, I think that probably all uh, ends up being a wash. Um, and, and I do think that the league uh, in particular, these last probably five or six years uh, is at a higher level with more better stars than really at any point since probably, you know, the early 90s uh, when, you know, or, or maybe even the end of the bird magic era. No, it's it's staggering how much talent is in the league, even just the concept of miss like Nikola Jokic didn't make the all star team last year. That that just floors me for a number of reasons. Maybe the voters should have voted him in or the coaches should have put him in. But I mean, this is this is where we're at, right? The depth of talent in the league now is spectacular. This is also a subtle thing that I that I mentioned at some point in the series. Comparing longevity across eras like this is not a one to one thing. I don't know perfectly how to do it, but it's not one to one. So yeah, because guys were done at like thirty-one back in the sixties. Some guys, right? Like it was kind of yeah. yeah well, that was yeah. I mean, if you if you if you think about the league as an S curve going all the way back, and you think about slow and steady growth, and then rapid growth after the shot clock, I, I kind of think of that period. And Russell came in on that wave. Guys who started in the fifties, they were done by like thirty. Yeah, hardwood floors, shoes, day jobs, whatever. Yeah. By the time you get by the time you get into the 60s and the league really modernizes, um, you got way more money, way more athleticism. Your talent pool starts to open up. Racial lines start to disintegrate a little bit. By then, you could have guys play until like early 30s. But it was just not common to play until you were 35, 36, 37 years old. And even in the 80s, right, same kind of story. The condi- Off-season, guys usually weren't in condition. They didn't have the health, the exercise health and science. They didn't have the <clears throat> the vitamins. Sorry, something got stuck in my throat there. Uh, <laughs> but but no, wh- whatever you want to look at it as, the, the bottom line is now you can play, and you're coming in younger with with better preparation as a teenager. It, it ten or twelve years in the old days is like fifteen or sixteen years today, and of course that leaves us with LeBron. The fact that he's like in his sixteenth year, kind of kind of blows my mind the other thing you could point to too is just like there were certain injuries back in those days like before 
arthroscopic surgery before probably like 1985 right. or so that if you suffered them your career was just over if you tore your acl right th- that was it like you there's no way to fix that until arthroscopic surgery really became uh common you know so and there's or guys would just be like really affected by knee injuries i mean certainly injuries still uh cause people to regress and stuff but like there were very few injuries where it's just like all right the guy's career is just over now he can't play anymore you know whereas back then you you certainly had a lot more of that so when do you when do you see lebron slowing down oh man well this year uh, what i've been saying i said this on uh, my lakers preview pod that i did earlier this week the idea of like okay this is going to be the year for him is probably not the way to look at it you know the way to look at it is probably all right every year there's probably a 20 percent chance that he's going to take a significant step back and maybe you know as he gets into being past 35 that grows to like 35 percent every year or something and i think you know that's the case for a lot of these guys like your paul pierce's your steve nash's guys who really you know went very late uh, uh, into their career as well um but when you throw in also the fact that just i don't think the ecosystem is going to be nearly as conducive this year for lebron with this lakers team that just isn't going to have the shooting um and also throw in they're probably going to not have the ball in his hands quite as much anymore uh who knows where he'll be defensively is he going to give more effort or is he going to be at that same level as the last few years so i think he's just not in as good of a position to succeed this year and so in terms of i expect this year to be one of his worst years relative to the league in terms of just his box score stats maybe since uh 2010 11 um just because there's not that much around him, but maybe they'll find a way. They'll they'll bring some new guys in. They'll play the right guys around him, and that won't be the case. But you know, in terms of just his jump shot is probably looking better now than it has at any point in the last like three or four years. That was a, another reason why I felt like you know because he, when he was 31, that's when he just couldn't hit a jumper against the Warriors right in that uh, 2015 Finals. So the jumper appears to be okay. That that's going to help him uh, a lot. So you know, I. I I'm not ready to say yet that in the playoffs he won't be the best player this year. Uh, if I had to pick, I think maybe next year would be the year that in the playoffs for the first time he's not the doesn't look like the best player in the league. So I'm not sure there's anything there I, I really disagree with. I think the thing that's interesting to me is how well he uses his body as he gets older. So 2015 was really it was really the last year that he kind of played. Uh, you know, 270 pound LeBron, like the the gorilla in the room, and as he's lost weight, now now he's out there flying around, you know, like he's been shot out of a cannon. Sometimes when he gets out in transition, uh, that's the thing that has floored me, just how how fast he is, and then he's still heavier than everyone else. So you know, he's legitimately playing what would traditionally be a a power forward position. I know that position kind of doesn't exist anymore, but he's big and uses his body in all facets. You put that together with the fact that his jumper is better than it it ever has been. I don't still don't know why he can't uh, adjust his free throw mechanics. That's one area where, well, he he does like 25 times a season. That's probably what his problem is. Look without, without going all, uh, you know, um, basketball physics or whatever he he he's got this like left to right hitchy movement in his it's not a fluid free throw and and i just have never understood how you can be at that level and and not uh, try to make a correction there but that aside 
I think going going back in time, I never would have pictured him as someone aging this well. And I think the way he's using his body, the polish on his passing, his jump shot, and everything you said about the Lakers season makes sense. But of course, if if you're out there listening and you've heard uh, my podcast on this Lakers team, there is a curiosity where there there might be some sure. like alchemy here that works, right? And I'm fascinated to see how that plays out. Both in terms of his endurance, what it, you know, how many minutes he's playing, are they going to be able to play this fast all the time? Where's the defensive effort? But then in his aging curve, is is that miles that hurts him, or those miles that that add up and kind of limit his aging curve, or whose body is he most similar? Like who has the most similar body to him in NBA history? To me, it's Carl Malone, and Carl Malone was like dynamic or or still very good until his late 30s so those these are the things floating around in my head i think what i can add to that is i think the changes in the league over the last five years are really have helped and are going to really continue to help his longevity uh although the current lakers roster construction is going away from that a little bit but you know they are at least going to play a lot of times without his traditional center the fact that he's now the four but that, you know, he's still bigger than pretty much all fours uh, as well. I mean, if if you were playing the old traditional way where there's a, a big power forward and a big center and there wasn't the same amount of spacing, and, I mean, you go back and look at the, you know, people talk about LeBron's athleticism now, and it's incredible for his age. But if you go back and look at, like, how athletic he was, you know, in that last Cleveland season, for example, or the 2009 season with Cleveland where, you know, he's just – has to power into the lane and just score th- over and through guys again and again and again. And you really, the only way you were stopping him at the rim is if you had, you know, an Omer Ashik type of rim protector just like waiting there for him. He would just score on pretty much any big at the rim. If he, if the game was still set up to where there was that much more help and he had to do that all the time, uh, I think he would have been in big trouble. But because there's so much more spacing now, because he's still evolved to be like one of the bigger players. Uh, on the floor he doesn't really have to score over big men at the rim the game has evolved to just get those guys out of his way uh especially the way that his teams have played and and the shooting that they've had uh it's just you know you you shudder to think what that 2009 lebron could be doing now in today's game but I, i think that you know if he had to just if you put him right now back into 2009 you know, he just wouldn't be able to be nearly as effective because he'd have to just go over and through guys and score on them at the rim. You don't have to do that anymore. I think that's such a great point. And even the idea that as the league gets faster and we've had, you know, higher pace numbers than we've had in a long time and what it means to be a big man. Can you stretch? Can you switch? Can you run? Can you dive? As you get thinner and slimmer and quicker, you have a speed power trade-off. But I feel like LeBron doesn't have a speed power right. trade-off. He's just he's just more powerful than everyone else. When he gets into the lane, he did it in the preseason game last night. Uh, opening, you know, one of the opening moments of the game, he goes left and he just jumps down the lane, and it's like he's finishing with no one there, and yet he's kind of like powering. Yeah. Through well, 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 with Damian the Jones, there it is. Like there's nobody there. But okay, <laughs> excellent point. Good counter, sir. I've been lured. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I mean, it, it's still, you know, if he had to do that all the time, going into, you know, teams that always had a rim protector on the floor, just, you know, were able to bring help much more easily. 
uh, you know, I think it would, it would be more difficult for him. And I think, you know, there is definitely a decline in his finishing. That's why I think Draymond Green is probably the closest antidote to him because Green actually can move enough and is a great rim protector on his own and has a great knack for getting his chest in there. And Green actually can force some misses by LeBron uh, in a way that, you know, kind of more immobile centers can't. Uh, because they just, you know, the spacing is just too much against these teams. They can't get there. But, you know, someone like Green with his anticipation and his speed can. And so when LeBron actually is contested, I think, he, you know, he's not – because he used to be automatic even when he's contested. I don't think that's the case anymore. But he's just contested so much less often now than he used to be. Well, I have um... – totally smash my concept of short podcasts today. Uh, oh, no, you can we've, make we've it too if you want to. We've gone full dunked on here. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I could uh, I, I could split them up. Um, but let's uh, let's close on this question, unless you have any, any other one. No, I, I, I've droned should. on for quite a bit here. <laughs> okay. <I'll, laughs> let, let's close on this. If you were drafting either Jordan or LeBron, knowing what you know now about their physical makeup their personality the essentially the arc of their career as it took place in the situations they were in who would you take that's a question i get a lot i I haven't thought too much about it well i think it's very clear given his superior size and athleticism and passing that just in an absolute vacuum LeBron James is a better basketball player than Michael Jordan. I think that's it's just okay. So that's what that's what people have been waiting for. Yeah. They've waited the the hour and twenty minutes to get to that juicy statement. I'm going to cut that and make that the the lead on loop. <laughs> I'm going to totally take yeah. that out of context. Now, now, and that's not the same as saying he's the greatest of all time. I mean, I think just generally everybody is better now than they were back then. I mean, and, and you know, obviously, if you were to plop Jordan into this era and say, Hey, you've got a summer, you know, to kind of learn, work on your three point shot or something. And then we're going to play at the end of this, you know, how he would look would be really, interesting. you know, he, Jordan wasn't like an advanced, like pick and roll operator. You know, that's just not spread pick and roll. Just wasn't something that got run back then. Um, and LeBron, I mean, I think he has just the, the ridiculous size that he would be more effective in Jordan's era relative than uh, Jordan would be in this era, even if you, you know, and then you just consider like the better training and stuff like that. I, I like my euphemism better than yours. Uh, and, <laughs> and, you know, I think, it, you know, it's not close. I mean, I think like, you know, LeBron James is just in a vacuum is a better basketball player. If, you know, one or the other time traveled to the other's era, I think LeBron would be better uh, regardless. Um, but, you know, that's not necessarily fair. To say, I mean, I think you, you have to talk about just, you know, to some degree how they were relative to the league. And then maybe, though, if you look at how the league was or how the era was, you can kind of adjust a little bit from there. So I think it, I would still take Jordan, I think, just because of his regular season value being higher than LeBron's. And I think their playoff value is probably pretty similar uh, at this point. And I think, you know, Jordan didn't have kind of these blips that LeBron has had in terms of like being a teammate and being you know he punched steve kerr but like in terms of like competitiveness and like you know helping helping the team win i think there's been a lot of times where lebron has kind of pouted or like caused drama or whatever where you know i don't think jordan necessarily did that um so i still would probably pick jordan as the greatest of all time when you say you're drafting one of them though i know i've rambled on a long time here though is it would you rather draft michael jordan in 1984 or draft lebron james in 2003 or is it just any random time in NBA history could be when they start their career or like, or, or is it just 
you know, starting today or what's the, what's the thought there? I, yeah, I think people usually ask that question with the idea of uh, not a random time per se, but either today or in the recent past. So if you want to go all the way back to 85 or 84 with Jordan, you know, you could do that. But I think the idea is that you're in the same time period and you got to pick one or the other and you know what you have essentially it's, you know, when you drafted Jordan in 84, most people didn't know what Chicago had, but you kind of have the concept now of like, okay, he's going to develop this yeah. jumper. He's quicker. Well, than well so, so is yada, he, yada, yada. Do, do we get to draft him at 18 the way LeBron got drafted? You know, like, uh, like do, do we get to say that, you know, Michael Jordan's father like doesn't get killed and he doesn't take two, two years off or, or, you know, do we say that he like that, that kind of stuff gets into it too, right? I mean, if you're going to say, okay, we're going to bring him in now, then it's like you, you got to kind of fully bring Michael Jordan into this era. That's why I think a, a fair comparison is just, all right, we're going to either draft Jordan in 84 or we're going to draft LeBron in, in 03. And, you know, uh, how many championships are you going to win? But, uh, you know, maybe that's fair, but it's, it's really, it's probably not fair to Jordan to say, okay, we're going to, you, you're going to come into the league as a 22 year old here, whereas LeBron gets to start at 18. Because I think you develop Nate, more, too, my, in, in the NBA. It's typically my job, Nate, to blow up these hypotheticals. But I appreciate <laughs> you in the, spirit, in the spirit of thinking well, basketball. Well, you tell, you, know, you tell me exactly what the question is, and I'll answer it. But I, I, like, I, just, I need to know exactly what the question is. You know, that's kind of... Let's say, let's say uh, that they are both... It's, it's, it, they're time for both. So 84 for Jordan, that league, and 2003 for LeBron, that league. Oof. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I think just because of the longevity, you would probably go LeBron. Although, you know, it's probably LeBron wasn't playing at a championship level really probably until maybe 2008 or yeah, I guess 2007. They did get to the finals though on his back. But again, they're playing, you know, they beat like a 51 win Pistons team or 53 win Pistons team barely in the conference finals. So I don't know how much credit I give LeBron for like those first couple of seasons. If all we're talking about is trying to win championships, you know, I'm not sure that it makes a huge difference that LeBron came in earlier. He was, yeah, he was he was not. I mean, his prime was very clearly uh, 2009 and onward, but he was still an All NBA sure. guy. You know, in a couple of those six, seven, certainly eight. Uh, in eight, he was. If you remember, 08, he was right there in the conversation for best player in the league with Kobe, Chris Paul, Garnett, and that whole MVP race with those guys. Yeah, I think the Cavs really disappointed that year after making it to the finals, so I think he was kind of, that hurt his candidacy. But yeah, I think you can also kind of consider, like, if this guy is coming in the league, he's going to be a high draft pick. You're, It's very unlikely that you're going to dump him onto a team that's good enough to where he's going to be, you know, a, an important supporting piece in the first like two, three years of his career coming out of high school to where he can really add championship value. So you're, you're probably going to be starting on a bad team if you're coming in the league and you're that good. So, you know, that extra value early in LeBron's career, I don't count that that much. Um, cause I just don't, I think that's unlikely to lead you to a championship given the circumstances. Uh, so I think I probably. As of now, if we assume that LeBron retired today, which is not fair, obviously. Um, but as of now, I probably would still take Jordan both with, with the regular season value, which is not meaningless. Uh, you know, you can at least get more home court. Maybe you win more championships there. Um, 
and a little bit more scalability because we haven't seen LeBron on a team where they have, I mean, they certainly played Jordan ball, but Jordan had more off ball value, more consistent defensive effort, more consistent effort in terms of, you know, LeBron had just like the total meltdown in the 2011 finals and then just some other kind of foibles as a teammate. Uh, you know, Jordan never had a playoff series that was that bad. You know, certainly he had some that people will forget, you know, like the 96 finals. He wasn't great. Uh, but, you know, he wasn't like, oh, I'm I'm going to score 11 points tonight. You know, that type of bad. Like, yeah. see, see, I have a I have a contention about that. Though. Yeah. He as a as a volume score. Right. As a guy who buttered his bread through scoring more than passing or not that he was weak in these areas, but he was just going to get buckets right i think that he gets sort of a and the focus historically as i've written about is that we we hone in psychologically on scorers who have the ball so jordan's bad series the the times where he struggled whether it was in the finals in 96 he had a real bumpy series uh, against miami i think the next year um the knicks in in 93 or 92 or both like he didn't he didn't have great series against the knicks he's he's got a 54 point game that came after one of his worst playoff yeah. games ever I, I i think because he just shot so much and he's never a guy who's gonna have a stat line where he has like 14 points i think we kind of look back and let him off the hook a little bit in terms of saying like michael jordan never had bad moments oh yeah I, I, that's my that's my contention I, i'm not saying that but i think you know if you go back and look at his career of how many series did his team lose because he wasn't good enough? You know, I mean, I think I think you can clearly say that about the 2011 finals with LeBron. I think you can say that about the 2010 uh, series against the Celtics. Definitely can't say it in 09 because he was awesome against the the Magic that year. Um, that's probably it, though. I mean, I think he was he was good enough in all the Cleveland series that they lost that. Uh, you know, in the second run that you can't really put that on him. So I don't give him a demerit, but you know, for Jordan, I think, you know, I don't think his, his team, did they ever lose a series in which they were favored? Uh, I don't think they did. Um, And, you know, so you could say maybe there's a little bit more consistency. Maybe that's his teammates. You know, it's, it's tough to really parse that out, but you know, there wasn't a time when, and this is part storytelling in part, because I, I believe in this value, but, there wasn't a time where Jordan played really poorly and his team lost and be like, all right, that was because of Michael Jordan. You know, maybe you could point to some of those Pistons series, but they weren't favored in those, any of those series. You know, we, we, we've dropped the ball a little bit. Cause I think we, I want to punt this. I don't think I want to get into okay. it, but, but the coaching Phil, Phil Jackson being present in those situations, I think is, and I've written about this before. We, we, historically underappreciate the value of coaches and the impact they have on something like this point you're making where uh, playoff performance, consistency, all this stuff. I, I just think having Phil Jackson there in those runs, one of the greatest coaches ever versus some of the circumstances LeBron has been in um, is like night and day to me. What, yeah. what say you? Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's probably true, though you can also – make the argument that LeBron was partially complicit in some of those uh, situations as well. I mean, those were situations that he was choosing to go to. Uh, I don't know that he really wants like a particularly strong coach. I think Spolstra by the time LeBron was finished there was totally good. Yeah. I'm fascinated to see what happens with, with Luke. 
Um, I, I actually who, think that who, Luke might be at a minimum the second best coach he's ever had. And yeah. maybe even uh, like I, I, I'm a believer in, in Luke Walton. I think he's pretty good. Well, I sense myself wanting to start talking like Bill Walton. So that <laughs> is the end. That, uh, <laughs> that's a good place to wrap. Nate, um, as always, super fun, super fun discussion. Thanks so much for all your work and your podcast and, and for stopping by. And hopefully, um, we have more conversations in the future together. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like we have plenty more to talk about. So I hope so as well. As always, you can support the show over at patreon.com slash thinking basketball. It's the patrons who really make this possible, allow me to spend money on equipment and how to communicate with software and editing stuff and all that jazz, and also just have the time to continue to create basketball content. So if you like this, if you like any of my other stuff, uh, go ahead and support the, the support I've already had from all you guys has been wonderful so far. And until then... Hope you guys are having a great day, and I'll talk to everybody in the next episode.